Good afternoon, Alex. Thank you so much for joining our podcast this afternoon. Uh, afternoon, your time, of course, morning, my time. Uh, Good morning. I, I have, uh, you know, I, as I started my conversation with you a few minutes ago, you know, last week, and I thought I had a busy weekend. Uh, and then I visited your Facebook page and noticed that you drove thousands of kilometers to take supplies into Ukraine. So I am, uh, and, and, and it's kind of an ongoing thing that you do. And so I am so excited to get to, to hear from you and some of the stories and some of the things that you're seeing as you're journeying across the border. Uh, but before we dive into, into any of that, Alex, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, where you're from? Uh, what church are you part of, and um, tell us a little bit about your family. Thank you for having me, Sean. And uh, yeah, it's it, you get tired, but then uh, you do have the chance of you know um, resting a bit, and then you you take it all over again. And but we we do try to um, to rest. Uh, I my name is Alex. I am from. Romania, the north part of Romania. I was born in Sigetu Marmatie, which is at the border with Ukraine. Uh, then spent uh, my co college years in Bucharest and then uh, as a, a assistant pastor and youth pastor in, in two churches in Bucharest. And then uh, after having our first child and deciding to have more, we decided to uh, uh, come back to uh, Maramures, the county we're in, in Bayamare, it's like 50 kilometers from where I was born, uh, still close to Ukraine, and um, it's been four years almost since we, we moved back. I have uh, Madalina, my wife, and I have three kids, Caleb, uh, Elia, and Col Colin, Noah Colin. So you have your hands full, basically. You've got you've got a little a I little. A, I have uh, an amazing wife. So if I was tired from driving and from you know uh, loading and unloading and and taking stuff to Ukraine, my my wife actually does the hardest work in in you know uh, staying with the kids. And <laughs> I tell you what, it's not easy with our kids. So uh, when when people hear this or watch this, I'm not the one doing the hard work. My wife is. Got it. Well, we'll make sure we leave that part in on the interview. It's all about your wife and it, it, it's just how the world goes, whether you're... It's true, man. I tell you. United States, Romania, it's all about the, the, the wives. So, so anyway. Well, I mean, obviously, Alex, you know, we uh, have seen really a, a tragedy unfold um, in Ukraine. Uh, since the 24th of February. And yes. uh, I know a lot of the folks who watch the podcast or listen to the podcast um, have heard me talk to pastors. We've talked to some, some refugees. We've talked to a number of different people. And um, there, there's a lot of commonalities. I have a feeling we're going to see as you're sharing uh, just of the church uniting together to serve and help. Um but there's also a lot of heartbreak and, and, and there's a lot of, um, you, you know, there's been a lot of challenging, uh, times. And, and so, uh, tell me a little bit about, you know, what's been driving you. I mean, obviously as a fellow believer, as a, as a brother in the Lord, 
you know, we are, we feel, if you're like me, you feel compelled. It's one of the reasons why we do this podcast is because yeah. I feel compelled to continue to share the stories of what God is doing and how he's using this tragedy to spread his, his gospel message and, and impact the lives of others. But what drives you, what's been driving you to, to continue going back and forth across the border so many times? So, um, uh, it all started in the 24th of February when um, that night, tell you the truth, I was working on a, a video project because I work in, in, in video editing as well. And I was reading some news about the poss possibility of, you know, a war in Ukraine right that day. You know, we knew there were tensions. Uh, everybody was 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 talking about it, uh, especially uh, the U.S. was telling you know Ukraine is gonna they're gonna invade and um, it was like four in the morning when when I was uh, you know um, seeing some news about it and and then uh, it was it was official you know um, Russia had a special operation in 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 Ukraine. Uh, and, you know, I opened the TV to watch the news. They were showing the, the some of the bombardments in Kiev and uh, talking about the what they knew right then because they didn't have all the information. Seeing the news and then my, my kids came, came down. They woke up and they came down and they were asking. So my son is five. Uh, it's only five. He's five year old. My daughter is three year old, and then we have a nine month. But he was asking, so daddy, what's what's going on? And we we kind of explained to him in his words that you know there's a war and there's uh, people being attacked, and uh, they have to run because you could you could see like the the cars you know piling up in Kiev, just trying to 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 uh, get out of Kiev. And we were trying to explain to him what's going on. And then at one point, after a few minutes, the, the alarm sounded at the TV, you know, and he heard him, uh, he heard it and he was a, a bit scared. So we had to sh shut the TV down and, you know, and, you know, uh, try to protect him from, from the news and from what was going on because he is young, um, and he he doesn't understand everything. Yeah, Alex, you said something there that I wanna I, I wanna hi highlight a little bit because as I think about, you know, here I I sit in Dallas, Texas, and and um, there's a couple of things you said. Number one, I you know I couldn't imagine explaining to my daughter war, um, <laughs> it, and she's older, you know, and and just the idea of of you having to have that kind of a conversation with a five-year-old is, um, is, is definitely challenging as a parent, you know, I mean, that's not something you just bring up at the dinner table, um, no, no. you know, and, and it also reminds me, you know, so much, so many of the images that have come across and, and I uh, will ask you some story about some stories here in a couple of minutes, but so many of the images that we've seen, um, I see the faces of these children who have come across and especially during the early days, you know, the yes. kind of the early part of March and when everything was really just kind of chaotic, um, just to see the shell shocked look on their face, um, 
not understanding, not, not knowing what, what was going on. You know, mm -hmm. uh, there was a picture that we had of, of, um, a, a little boy, he's probably nine or 10 and he was just sitting on a suitcase, which is all he had left. Of course, that's all they had time to grab. Uh, they were at one of our medical clinics and, um, he was just holding his puppy, you know, and, and that, it, that was it. And that, that image is now seared into my, into my mind because I just cannot imagine what that poor child is, you know, is, is thinking and, and what he's going to have the healing and, and, and thank God we serve a powerful God, right? Thank God we serve a God who can restore, he can heal. And, and, uh, but the healing that he's going to have to go through based on what he saw, you know, we heard stories of, of course, you know, what things people saw in the streets as they were heading, heading yes. out of, uh, out of town. Um, you know, so, those things stand out to me tremendously. And, and um, tell, tell me a little bit about, so when did you guys see the border start to kind of fill up and, and um, maybe connect that over to when did you make your first trek back into Ukraine? Cause I'm sure there was a time when everyone was coming this way. So trying to go that way would be very, yeah. a bit of a challenge um, kind of swimming upstream. It was, but tell you what, uh, first time I went to Ukraine was, uh, I think, just a week after. Um, but the first time I went to the border was the same day. But then, uh, you know, helping out uh, because it was February. Mm -hmm. One of the first thing I did was uh, get blankets. Right. We got tens of blankets just to share it with, with the people crossing who would not have proper clothes. Um, so that, that was the first thing we could do. And, um, actually I was at the border with Caleb, my five-year-old in four days, because my wife, she, she loves working with kids. She, she's a teacher and, uh, she realizes the traumas that kids are going through. So what she did, she did like some, um, uh, kits of, you know, uh, crayons and some toys, some small toys and, and, and some, some paper to write on and a really, really, really practical kit um, that we could share with the kids crossing the border. And the person who handed out the, the, the kits was Caleb because he, he was a child and he actually wanted to, he was really excited. So me and Caleb, you know, we went, we, went by car uh, to Seagate and we, we took like, I think first time we had like 40 kids for kids uh, crossing the border and he would just go to the kids and, and give it to them. Um, they obviously didn't have time to take anything like that. And right. even though you, you would think it now is not the time to, you know, use crayons or, or play with a toy, but actually um, it was for them you know, it kind of got them out of, you know, that, you know, running from home, not being able to take any toys, not having what to do because the the parents were stressed with what I'm going to do next, especially in the first days. Some of them never went out of Ukraine. Um, you know, uh, they were scared. They did not know the language and they would, they did not know that Romanians are willing to help. They they did they did not know what to expect from from Romanians uh, when they cross the border. Hmm. 
because there were some tensions in the past, if, if, right. if you know the history of Ukraine in Romania, especially at the border cities, uh, basically <laughs> South Ukraine, North Romania was Romania before. So, uh, so they didn't knew exactly. I even had a, a history major telling me that she's shocked because she knows history and she did not expect Romanians to be so warm and, and helping and willing to, you know, uh, do, and I'm talking about me, but even on the road to our place, because we hosted them, they were helped by the police and they were helped by, by others, you know, and, and she was just shocked of, you know, uh, seeing this from, from Romanian people. To come back to your question, after one week, I went with a family that had to get some stuff from Ukraine. So I went over and helped them um, with with the bag, with some of the bags and some of the stuff that they had to bring back into to uh, uh, Romania. But it was not on a war zone. It was not, you know, it was Ukraine. We did not know what to expect in the first days. Uh, right. Nobody expected Russia to attack Kiev. But they did, anyways. We everybody was expecting what's happening now to try to conquer the east part of Ukraine. But what happened was they attacked everywhere in Lviv and in, in Kiev, and uh, that's that, I think that's why a lot of people uh, started to run from U- Ukraine because they saw it was serious. They're not just wanting wanted to take the east; they wanted to take the whole country. Right. Yeah, you know, it, it's it, it, history. It's interesting. Uh, one of the things uh, that a pastor was telling me was because I asked that que- I asked the question about Romania and Ukraine, and obviously knowing there's been some you know some tensions there in the past, and the past. and the, this is the pastor said, you know, um, he, he, old older gentleman, he said, you know, I've heard these stories from from my my family about World War II. And he said, I never thought I would see anything even close to that. And I'm, I'm not saying that what's happening now is, is you know, at the level of, of World War II. But he said, no, you know, he said, I, I never thought that two civilized countries like Russia and Ukraine would go to war and we would have this kind of up, you know, upheaval in, in, in Eastern Europe. And he said, you know, that's what compelled our church and to get involved is because we remember how people helped us. Uh, you know, we heard the stories about how people helped us. And so we just, it be, well, of course we're going to help. We're, of course we're going to help, you know, people yeah. need help. So, um, and it, it's, it's not even, you know, um, yeah, being a Christian, you have a bigger motivation of, of loving your neighbor and, and, you know, loving God through loving your neighbor, but even people who maybe don't believe in God or, who don't have like a Christian motivation to what they did, they, they started to get involved and, and to help out because it, it, it's just, you, you know, it's the right thing to do. Right. It's not just the Christian thing to do. It's the right thing to do to help out as you can. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think being a, a follower of Christ just amplifies that. Yeah. And, and it gives, I think, an opportunity for us to share our faith because it makes people begin to ask those questions. Why are you helping me? I mean, why, why are you treating me so kindly? Why are you giving me your best? Um, you know, why did you open your home to me? You know, why am I sitting at your family table? 
And it starts to ask, you know, people start to ask those questions. And then that opens that door for that ministry to take place. And, um, and so I, I think that there's, you know, a, a, for as tragic as the events are, there's a, a beautiful uh, allegory happening right now uh, with, with what Christ intended the church to be, you yeah. know, yeah. to be. That, that's why the, I said, you, we, we pray to be, to have an impact as a church. We pray to, you know, uh, make a difference, but, but uh, now we have the chance to do it. Now we have the opportunity and we have to take it. Well, let's talk about some of the things that, uh, some of the stories. I, I know that, you know, as I started the conversation, you just returned a, literally a, a couple of days ago or a day and a half ago yesterday. from a, a, yesterday from a, <laughs> from a fairly, all I know is I saw, I saw, uh, you know, like I said earlier, I saw the gentleman, uh, I think your, your, your uh, friend, friend sleeping yes. in the back of a van. I saw some very good looking pizza. I saw some very good looking pizza oh, yeah. on a table. And I thought, man, that's that's a, that's a reward well earned right there. So. Tell you what, the pizza you eat in Ukraine is better than the one you can get in Romania. And oh, I tried it in some of the cities, and it's it's really really good. But th this is a whole nother conversation. But <laughs> we'll, we'll talk weird. pizza on the pizza on we'll the next talk. podcast. But uh, <laughs> yeah. so so tell me what what are some of the stories? What are some of the things that you're seeing as you're heading over there? Obviously, uh, first of all. And I'm just going to ask like a couple questions here, and then I'll let you just answer them as 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 it flows. But um, how how are you gathering these supplies? Because you're taking uh, you're taking a lot of supplies over. I mean, I saw the vans, I saw the the, the photos of you guys unloading, the video uh, clips of you guys unloading the the sprinters um, or what we would call sprinter vans here. Yeah. Um, uh, where are you getting those supplies? Where are you taking those supplies? And obviously, using discretion of where you're going exactly, you you feel yeah. free to share what you need, you know, what you feel you can share. And what is the reaction? What are some of the stories you're seeing? So, um, the first couple of of, of weeks uh, when we were talking about you know taking uh, supplies into Ukraine, uh, you know, we we just. Uh, collected money from friends and, and, and money from church and we would just get some of the, 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 the stuff and take it across the border because uh, men who can drive and have sprinter vans uh, they could not cross to Romania to you know to right. so now some of them can if they're doing humanitarian work and they have the paperwork for it now now some of them can do that but the first couple of, uh, of weeks they could not do that so it was really important for us to to take the food there at the border and then um you know unload it from our sprinter vans in in their sprinter vans took you know i think it was a big truck and then a, a van we took it to the border and uh, we went to chernitsky uh, to chernowitz um to Nova Posta, which is like uh, uh, FedEx for in, in Ukraine, and we delivered it uh, because they had the network, they had everything arranged. We delivered it to where it had to go, and then it was distributed to to the people in in Dnipro and Zaporizhia region, and and you know uh, cities near the the front line. Right. So, so you would get it to the it, to to the the hubs, and then they would use their network to. To yes. distribute it, basically. Yes. Yeah, I, I was going to ask you that. I know when we were talking before we got started with the, the actual podcast, you were mentioning, and, and this is really important for listeners to understand, you know, 
even though the flow of refugees has slowed down, you know, praise God, it's slowed down a little bit. And there are now some safer areas of Ukraine to be in. As you travel east, closer towards Russia, the devastation is amplified. It is, uh, tell me what you told me earlier about about what's happening there in the east. So they obviously realize they cannot conquer uh, uh, Kiev and they cannot, you know, take Ukraine. So at this point, from what, you know, uh, the pastors um, uh, told me who are, you know, in connection with the army because they're cooking for them and they're, you know, helping out, uh, sending aid to the front line, you know, um, every time time they, they have the opportunity is that... Uh, they, the Russians don't care anymore about, you know, the cities or the people. They, they never cared before, but they were a bit cautious. But now they don't they don't even care. They just want like a, a, a way towards uh, Crimea. That's that's kind of everything they need now. So they're destroyed. They don't care what they destroy. They just uh, and it's it, it's dangerous because they do have good weapons and they just, you know, they bomb and they use their uh, artillery and. Uh, they do a lot of damage uh, compared to what they did before when they tried to to conquer Kiev. That's why I say in in East it's it's worse now because at this point they're pretty desperate and they don't don't care about anything anymore. So just right. that's the information I do have from 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 people in Ukraine who know a bit about what's going on. Yesterday it looked like and and correct me I'm going off the photos that I saw on your Facebook and and if you're if you're listening to the podcast right now you are not following Alex uh, on on Facebook you need to go follow him because he is posting a ton of content up um, really from the front lines and showing his journeys in and out of country uh, he has some phenomenal videos up there. And uh, so I would encourage you to go follow him. I hope you don't mind me giving your Facebook a plug, Alex. No, no uh, it's not a problem. No, because I I was learning but, so but much. But I did have to correct you with 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 something. It's not frontline. I mean, it it would not be correct of me to um, give the impression that it's frontline. Yes, it's dangerous. Yes, we've seen a lot. Um, but when it you know front line is a few hundred kilometers more east and south of where we go but it's pretty dangerous um <laughs> yeah you were just telling me about a story where you, you had uh missiles flying over your head yeah. so uh first time uh, we, we went so first time we went in central ukraine um, you know, I, I obviously had to give assurances to my family, you know, it's safe. And I had to give assurances to, you know, the, the, the people coming with me. So I told them, you know, guys, there's no Russian troops on the ground. The only chance of, you know, being put in danger is if missiles fly by. So I was, you know, I'm 100% confident that it's safe. And I talked to the pastor there and the people there, they told me it's safe. We, we had no incidents here. It's, it's, it's a safe place to bring the stuff. And then we, we obviously uh, share it with the refugees in our area. And we, we take it further to the front line because it's our responsibility to take it there. It's, it's not yours. Uh, after, you know, unloading all the stuff, um, the pastor and the, the Natalia, who's the manager uh, of, of the church, 
um, they drove me and the other two guys that were with me, they drove us around town, showed us, you know, the Nipro River, which is beautiful. You can uh, go to the beach there. You know, it's it's really uh, wide there. It's like a, it's like going to the sea and uh, seeing some of the buildings and the old city and the new part of the city. It was just beautiful, you know. Um, and every time we go there, we put the good part as well because we don't want to send just the message of, oh, you know, there's only destruction, there's only um, suffering, there's only poverty because right, it's sure. not only suffering, poverty, and destructions. There are good parts, you know. Restaurants are opened again, you know, and you can go to a restaurant, you can go to a mall, you can. There's a, a different kind of normality there. Um, they're getting adjusted to which right. nobody would want but it's just the normality you go into a mall and the entrance of the mall you have like uh, sand uh, bags you know just piled up in case something happens and, and right. it's just interesting to 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 see that uh, the windows are covered with you know wood for you know not to be breaked and, and that's one of the normalities of going to a shopping mall now, you know, seeing all that, obviously having block posts everywhere and soldiers and, and checkpoints and everything. That, that's the new normality. But, you know, you know, they showed us the city. It was beautiful. And when we get ba got back to the church, we heard like a, a airplane sound, but we were close to the airport. So... It's not normal to hear airplanes unless they're like army airplanes because, you know, there's no commercial right, uh, right. lines uh, traveling now. But and then we just I I would say because I, I fly drones, it was like 30 meters more to the right. Just above us, a missile just went by <laughs> and two seconds after we saw like the the, sh the, the shield just taking it down, you know, somewhere in the back of the church. Uh, so we, we were shocked. Uh, we were like, <laughs> okay, what? Now what? Right, Are they going right. to be more or it's going to be worse than just, you know, one? Uh, Natalia was, you know, uh, she was like, I think she was more, I don't know, embarrassed because they told us that it's safe and we just saw missiles flying by. Uh, and then we, we went, um, I went in the back of the church to see what's going on. And I, I heard this, the second explosion, which I got on, on, on tape on the camera, which I didn't show exactly immediately after, because you're not allowed to, uh, right. share anything, but, um, I did get that on camera and you could hear, um, an explosion, but from what I heard, it was it was uh, taken down as well, so they did not hit any um, of, you know. I think they were aiming towards the bridge because they're trying to uh, uh, destroy the infrastructure and the pass towards the east to take, you know, um, the the you know the supplies for the soldiers and the the, the arms for the soldiers, right. and the other one was towards the airport, the one with, that we saw probably to the uh, air base. Um, we don't want to do like a. We don't want to be over dramatic with this story, sure. Uh, because it's it's you know they're going through the tragedies. We just had a glimpse of what it means, and how dangerous it could be just out of the sudden. You know, from from a city that 
was safe just having you know being a city that okay even here they can they can just bomb us and within seconds it could change you just never yes so so what you're saying is you know you have to be vigilant but at the same time yes obviously you have to get the job done you know someone's you know yeah. we, we so gotta we, get after people. seeing that obviously uh madalina was like come home it's like we have to take the stuff that were brought tomorrow to some of the non-profits and in the army and everything so we stayed for one more day and nothing happened the next day that was our experience with our first trip to central ukraine <laughs> well, I, I, we will, you will be in our prayers for sure that we, you don't see any more uh, fireworks no, uh, in the it, sky. No, it was enough. It was, it was yeah. enough. You saw it. Good. Check, check that we off the list. It. It's good. That's... Now, if we don't, it's, it's okay with me. You know, even, even better. So, what, what can we do? What, what are the needs? Um, because you know something you said earlier. You said you know the pastor says we don't really need money at the moment, but you know your presence being here. Uh, you know, still a lot of those tangible goods um, are, are very helpful for a lot of areas that may not have us, you know, whose supply chain has been cut off or they're not able to get the basics for life, you know. To, to, um, Big cities are, are pretty okay from what I know. And we've been to, you know, shopping malls and places where you can buy stuff. Okay. The, the places that are affected are the, the smaller towns and the villages. Okay. And what happened in in the big cities was people who had money um, put saved um, and were living in east of Ukraine, they went to the big cities and they obviously uh, afford, you know, they afforded renting, you know, apartments there and, and getting a place where to stay in the cities and maybe even getting jobs there. That That's one of the issues. It, they... They have cars, they they had houses, some of them, or they still have houses because they were not yet destroyed, but there's the possibility of having their houses destroyed, but they don't have jobs, you know, they don't have, um, uh, you know, a monthly income, uh, right. you know, right. which brings them, you know, gives them like the safety of, you know, we can buy that and we can buy that. So. The problem is not we cannot find food. The problem is we cannot buy it because we don't have jobs and we, we, we don't know what how to buy it. So a lot of them, they depend on um, churches who help out or nonprofits who help out and give out food and aid for them. So from what I'm hearing, one of the ways that, that churches here in the United States can continue to stay involved is by helping... Uh, obviously, those organizations, those nonprofits that are valid, that are are verified, yes. that are 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 actually there yes. by you know helping them so that they can continue to distribute. Because uh, you know, if you know, Romania, Ukraine, or anything like the United States right now, we've got fuel prices going out of control. Yes. Uh, you know, we to fill a vehicle now is double what it was. You know, a and you year can only ago. in Ukraine. One of the issues you can only fill up twenty liters. That's a day. So they, it's a problem with them coming to the border now because um, they don't have the fuel. They cannot get the fuel. It's hard. They can if they wait for a few days and get twenty liters, twenty liters, and they save up, and then they can come to the border. We when we go there, I take like. 
200, 250 liters of, of uh, uh, diesel with me so I can make it there and back home. So that, that's one of the needs in our case uh, to, to have fuel with us so we don't have to stay in the queues, which are long. We're talking about hundreds of cars, you know, waiting in line just to get 20 liters. We did at 4 a.m., um, we did get 20 liters from a gas station, but that's all that they gave us, you know, because they said diesel is for the army and the police and it's reserved for them. But because you're humanitarian and we had to prove that we have to give them our passports and our documents of, you know, um, that we were taking uh, uh, aid to Ukraine. We had to show everything. They had to take pictures and send them to, you know, their, their network. And then after like 10, 15 minutes, they gave us the okay of putting in 20 liters on each car we had. So it's, wow. re it's really difficult in Ukraine right now. Not only the prices went doubled in their case and even in Romania, but they cannot get as as much as they need to do, you know, a lot of ministry. So um, right. they try to save, they save up. So the only ones who do have, are lucky are those who have like uh, LPG cars because it's easier to find LPG, but our trucks are diesel. So it's, it's right. really difficult to, to uh, get diesel in Ukraine right now. But yes, helping out churches that can help refugees in Ukraine, and I was telling you about the cities, but the worst part is, and we went this time when we went to Cherkasy, central Ukraine, we went in some of the villages near Cherkasy, um, which I told you is like a 300, um, 400 now with the refugees, um, uh, thousand people living in. But even the uh, villages around Cherkasy are f full with refugees who did not have the money to get an apartment in the city. So they were given by the state houses that are, you know, uh, nobody lives in them or, you know, they're abandoned. So they give them the houses to stay in. But because you were talking about villages, they don't have work. Right. Some of the people in the city don't have work, but in, in the villages, there's no work there. You cannot find work. So they need they need the help of you know nonprofits and churches that are willing to go there and help them out. So this is what we did in our last trip there. We went in four or five villages and we just uh, gave them like two big bags of, uh, of of food, canned food and oil and flour, and to you know have for uh, the next weeks. I would say somewhere around a week or two, you know. Right, just to help so, kind of tide them over for a little while so they're not having to worry yes, about that. Yes. And if yeah. they go to every nonprofit that they could go to for, for a, but there is a, like a registration um, uh, form that you, uh, um, you have to fill up, you know, to receive. You cannot receive, uh, I think, only two weeks or three weeks till you can get the another another help you know because there are a lot of people and they want to make sure they they're helping out everyone and not just a few of them right so we're trying it's to... difficult for some you know right. and for others um it's more more than difficult uh, when as you go towards east ukraine it's more and more difficult because as you said the the supply chain uh, is is not good it's good in in some of the big cities but when you go towards east 
it, it's it's just bad. Gets gets worse as you go east. Yeah. Yes. Well, Alex, I I know, and and I wanna I wanna speak just really for for a second here before we wrap up to to the listeners out there. Um, you know, as as I've said on several of these podcasts, you know, obviously prayers are needed uh, for not just the refugees. Uh, not just for those who have been displaced or who are who are traveling abroad trying to find their next destination, but for people like Alex and his team, who are uh, you know putting themselves you know at risk not not just from necessarily war but just from fatigue and from you know exhaustion and you know it, it's it's hard to say no you know it's hard to say no when when you're in the middle of helping and doing good. And uh, it's hard to remember yourself and taking that break. So be praying for Alex and his team as they are, that when they do have time to rest, that they really get some good restful sleep. And, um, and as I've always said in these podcasts, you know, it doesn't matter what you can give, you know, if it's $5, if it's $500, if it's $5,000, whatever you role you can play or find these organizations uh, the need is there. And as we've continued to talk about, there's going to be a rebuilding process too, sooner or later, you know, that it, it, we hope it's sooner than later, but there will be a time when people will be going back. And as Alex has just pointed out, you know, jobs are an issue. There's not a lot of jobs, people's homes that they once depended upon. That was their investment may, may or may not be there anymore. Um, you know, so there's going to be a rebuilding process. It's going to take time. And during that time, resources will be needed. So I want to encourage you, if you're listening, to take action. Uh, Alex, do you have a website that, that people can go to, to uh, that you recommend that they can go to to make a donation if they are able to? So we did not have time to put up a website for Make a Difference, uh, but they either can send money to our church or our foundation uh, make a, a difference uh, is just the project name, but uh, Charity Foundation is the name of the foundation where, uh, you know, it, we have a bank account and everything is transparent. You know, we had Samaritan Purse sending in money. We had some uh, churches from U.S. sending money. Well, Alex, I, I salute you and I you know, thank you so much for your diligence and your, your listening to God and the ministry that's taking place and, and uh, talking about, you know, as we said earlier, being the hands of hands and feet of Jesus. And, um, and so I, I will, you will definitely be in our prayers and I look forward to continuing to follow you on your Facebook page and seeing these stories. And uh, perhaps next time we talk, we'll talk pizza. Oh man, I tell you, pizza, but not only pizza, uh, not only pizza, their food, their cuisine is really, really good. Sean here. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed it, please consider giving it a like, a follow, and a share. And if you're listening to this on your favorite podcast platform, consider giving it five stars. I look forward to sharing the next story with you real soon. <laughs>